Hi, this is Nick Spencer. And this is Steve Lieber. We're the co-creators of The Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And you're listening to Amazing Spider-Talk. Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Thanks for joining us for the newest episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. I wanted to wish everyone a happy new year by delivering you a very special Spider Talk and their Amazing Friends episode. On this episode, Mark interviews Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber, the creative forces behind Marvel's miniseries, The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which concluded a little over a month ago. Volumes 1 and 2 are available wherever trade paperbacks are sold, with the final volume going on sale on February 10th. Remember, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. I was not able to be a part of this recording because I was writing finals papers, so why don't we let Mark take it away from here. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Iceman and Firestar. Hey, this is Mark Giannacchio from Amazing Spider Talk here with the creators of The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, this this great series, which unfortunately ended in November after 17 issues. But uh, as, as listeners of the show know, we all we all really love this comic a lot. And and Nick and Steve, why don't you both say hi? Good, Nick. <laughs> uh, hello. Hello. This is Nick Spencer. This is Steve Lieber. Excellent. Now that we got that out of the way, no. um, he's, he's wearing he's wearing a shirt. Everyone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Everyone is is clothed and ready to go. Um, so we're obviously going to talk about superior foes and the and the series that that just wrapped here. And you know, I guess you know, best place to start is at the very very beginning uh, in terms of. You know, where, where did this idea come from? Because, you know, I remember, I think it was at New York Comic Con in 2013, uh, Steve Wacker was joking during the Spider panel. He was like, yeah, and then Nick Spencer pitched this really weird idea to me that we just decided to go with, you know, regardless. And um, I'm just curious, it, it, was it just that kind of randomness or was this an idea that was kind of percolating for a while? Uh, you know, where, where did this whole thing come from? Well, uh, Steve and I had, uh, Steve Wacker and I had, had worked together on uh, Spider Island Cloak and Dagger, and that had very nearly become an ongoing series. Um, and unfortunately, it was just sort of the wrong time at Marvel uh, to be uh, uh, pitching a, a, a series like that. And so it didn't happen. And, and after that, you know, we talked regularly about you know, what we could work on together next. And, and Steve, uh, had a, 
he would usually come over for uh, Thought Bubble, um, the convention in Leeds, while I was living uh, in England, and so we would we would meet up every year at the show and and, and have breakfast and, and talk about work, and and uh, that was really where we had the first conversation um, about superior foes, and. Um, a lot of the conversation then and a lot of the ideas that I had actually stemmed from a black cat pitch that I had sent over to Joe Casada uh, when I was just about out of high school. Uh, I was like 19 or so uh, when I had sent that pitch to Joe, um, so a long time ago. And um, so I'd always had some of these ideas in my back pocket and always just wanted to do a book about Spidey's Rogues Gallery and kind of the working class bad guys and what their uh, day-to-day existence must be like and and kind of the trouble that they get into. But yeah, I'd always uh, conceived of it as uh, as something that we see through Black Hat's eyes. Um, Black Hat at the time, there were some some plans, and, and obviously she's sort of a key component in the uh, you know in Spider Man's world. So that part became a little tricky. Um, but I said, you know, maybe we don't need her at all. And uh, so we started talking about you know a sinister syndicate type book, uh, you know, and something that would involve Beetle and, and Boomerang and those guys and. Uh, obviously, Beetle had 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 become uh, you know Mach Five, and um, so so yeah, that was kind of the initial conversations. And then, um, uh, surprisingly, we had an opening to do it because of Superior because of Superior Spider Man. That, that basically the plan was to launch a few books uh, around that and to kind of build out the line there. Uh, and so we were lucky enough to get the green light, and uh, then immediately we started talking about. Uh, artists and Steve had just done uh, an issue of Hawkeye um, uh, had done the uh, Hurricane Sandy issue of Hawkeye and yeah that had, that had come out I think that month or, or, or so um, and I was like oh my god you know Steve Lee was doing stuff for, for Marvel you know we, we gotta you know can we get him um, and you know Steve's probably more qualified to take it from there yeah, um, uh, Matt Fraction had brought me aboard for the for the Hurricane Sandy issue. They needed uh, they needed an issue drawn a couple of days before the script had been written, I think, and <laughs> and so it was it was just this this mad scramble to to get it to get it done. And and um, my studio mate Jesse Ham and I each did a story in this issue and got it done in in zero days. Um, and he had a great time doing it. And I hadn't done anything for Marvel and. Probably five or six years when, when that happened, so I, I assumed I was completely off the company radar. Um, and then Steve Wacker got in touch with me and said, "Hey, you, um, we, we like the we, we like the, the Hawkeye stuff. Would you like to do a villain book?" Um, I said, "Maybe." Um, I'm always wary about any about any kind of offer of work for anything. I I assume it's really a trap, and I'm going to wind up in quicksand dead. Yeah, um, what I what I first saw was a pitch for the for the series and. Uh, totally, it struck me as exactly the sort of thing I wanted to work on. Uh, it had I, I love crime stories. I love humor. I almost never get to do humor, so the, the possibility of actually getting to do funny stuff was was thrilling to me. Um, and uh, it, 
um, Steve Wacker said the magic words ground level, meaning naturalistic, meaning ordinary, something, something that focused on the more mundane aspects of characters' lives, which I love. Um, and I, I said, sure, let's do it. Um, and it, it also uh, had the, the magic, the magical quality, which I look for in any project, which is that it, is, it was not going to be anybody's first priority. Uh, I found that, that you can often do the best work, um, when, when you're flourishing under benign neglect, when, um, when, when they're not worried about you being the, the the focus of their attention uh you can get away with a lot more and that, that getting away with it was was a big a big part of what what doing this book was like yeah i just to back that up i mean i that's always been my experience especially in terms of work for hire that you know the best projects are really the ones that nobody has much of a stake in um that you just you, you end up having so much more freedom and, uh, you know, you, you're just, um, you're dealing with as few cooks in the kitchen as humanly possible. And that was definitely the case here. You know, I mean, uh, Wacker's a fantastic editor. He's a generally a pretty hands-off guy to begin with. You know, he has a, a, a strong tendency to put a team in place and kind of allow them to, to run with, uh, run with it from there. Um, you know, but especially on something like this, you know, there, there just aren't, that many people in the email chain. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I've found again and again that that really does create the best possible working environment. Yeah, it, you could you could put so much more energy into a project if you're not second guessing and worrying about what <laughs> three other people there are gonna are gonna think about it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and this was all about that. This was this was the weird. You know, what's the weirdest thing I could think of? Bam, that's going on the page, and I'm turning that in. And and. Uh, I think with maybe three exceptions over over the fifteen issues that Nick and I worked on, that um, nothing came back. Yeah, yeah. If it, it, it's, it, it would be interesting, every once in a while, the book brings in a, a, a more of an A list character, and uh, suddenly it was like you were working on a completely different project. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you just remember that you're like, oh yeah, that's right. They actually are paying attention to this. Uh, I'll be it quietly, but yeah, the minute you say, oh yeah, and then the Punisher shows up, people have thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, which is, it's, it's totally understandable. That's, that's part of the job. Yeah. You tell me there aren't, I was going to say, there aren't any big grizzly advocates. <laughs> right, right. Grizzly, on the other hand, you get some leeway. Yeah, no, nobody's worried about, about the, the revenues from, from, uh, Boomerang branded Slurpee cups or what have you. <laughs> right, right. Generally, they're just glad that you kept the trademark in play. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so how did you how did you go about settling on the cast? Because I mean, I, I know obviously it, it you know there is some parallels to the Sinister Syndicate Syndicate that you already mentioned, but um, I mean, why them? I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, that that actually, as far as I'm aware. Now, Wacker might have a different uh, story here. As far as I'm aware, it was happy coincidence um, that Dan Slott was putting a new Sinister Six in the first issue of Superior Spider-Man, and it just happened to be uh, the characters that I was most interested in playing with. Because, as you mentioned, the Sinister Syndicate were really uh, who I wanted to to do a story about. That that was kind of, they'd been the stars of of Deadly Foes of Spider-Man, which was a book that I had loved when I was a kid. 
Um, and, you know, so I wanted to use those characters. And, you know, uh, Dan's Sinister Six had Boomerang, it had Speed Demon, uh, it, had a, it had Shocker, it had, um, uh, you know, it had a new, um, uh, it had a new Beetle, um, and obviously it had Overdrive. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they were sort of pre-assembled for us. We didn't need to do any of that. And that, that was actually a huge blessing for me that I didn't have to do a putting the gang together story that I could start out with the team together. Um, so it was nice to be able to skip that part of the setup. And yeah, the only character that I could use was Dan had some plans for the living brain. Uh, and so, you know, he was out, but I was actually <laughs> really happy about that because I, I was like, I got, I got nothing for him. So uh, that works well. Who knows, who knows what the book would have been like if he, if he'd been in the mix, maybe we, maybe we would have had a, a whole, a whole other story thread in there. I've been assuming that Dan was actually following Nick's lead when he did that, that one sinister sex story. Yeah, I, I mean, for, for all I know, again, it could be a thing where Wacker had said to Dan, you know, uh, you know, we're going to do a book about some of these characters, and so Dan might have run with that. But, you know, the, I mean, the great thing about Dan Slott is, you know, I've worked on a, a few tie-in type things with him, and uh, he gives you a lot of room, um, which is a, a real credit to him, you know, that, that he's he's – He's generally down for 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 whatever uh, you want to do, in, in, in you know within what he's what he's spinning. And, and uh, you know the other great thing about Dan is he when he does outlines for his events or you know for for, for just for his amazing Spider-Man plans, they are the most detailed, uh, thorough outlines I've ever gotten. You know, not a beat is missed, and he tells it like a story. He just does a full-on treatment-style uh, pitch. And so you really know everything that's going to happen, and that that's a huge help to you um, in terms of the room that you have. Now, obviously, on this one, we went pretty far from anything that he was doing. We went in a very self-contained route. Uh, so, you know, beyond the, the lineup of the gang, really, uh, you know, we were kind of off to the races on our own. And what was it about? Was was Boomerang always supposed to be the lead voice? Um. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's a funny thing. I was always, uh, I was always kind of Team Beetle when I was a kid. I I, <laughs> I, I really loved, I really loved Abner. Uh, and so I had always, when I just sort of you know, half, half thought through an idea for the book or whatever. I'd always thought that it would be about Abner, but obviously he had a different status quo at that point. And so, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't make quite as much sense. You know, I, I think originally I, I toyed around with, well, you know, would Abner go, go back to a life of crime ever? And it just didn't seem at all in character with what had been done with him in Thunderbolts. Uh, so, yeah, so so you know, from there, Fred was the natural choice for for you know the the, the lead character and, and for the narrator's voice, um, and that ended up being way better because Boomerang as a character is far more ridiculous than Beetle ever was. So he he gave, gave me a lot more to play with. And and then in just just from a scripting standpoint, I mean, how how tough is it to write the voice of an unreliable narrator? 
Uh, I love that stuff. You know, I've, I've done it a few times. You know, my uh, usually if I do a, a narrator, he's he's never like a full on sympathetic character, just because I, I think that's kind of a, a a boring guy to hear from for that long. So you know, I I, I tend to like either uh, you know the the asshole type or the um, uh, the uh, the schlub type. Um, those are those are my you know two go tos in terms of narrative voices, and yeah yeah so uh, the unreliable stuff I mean that's you know that's that's part of the job hopefully you know that nobody really wants you to give it to them straight that you know you, you should want some surprises along the way and narration shouldn't detract from that um, so you know it's uh, uh, it, it was it was it was fun some of the things that we got to do with it here. Um, particularly in terms of what Fred really wanted and what he was really driving after is exactly the kind of thing that he's never going to come out and say, um, you know, that, that this guy was kind of lost dreams and his lost innocence. Um, you know, it, it, he's never going to be the type to come out and admit that. So it was fun to kind of have him telling the whole story and, and never, never laying that card on the table. Hmm. Um, now with, with, with all of these characters, you know, I mean, you mentioned how much, Nick, how much you loved Deadly Foes, Spider-Man when you were younger. I mean, but I mean, there's not a huge cat, you know, back catalog for these characters. So, I mean, you know, how was that in terms of doing research, you know, for both of you? I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's like only really a handful of boomerang stories, a handful. I mean, there, there are hardly any overdrive or, or the new, I mean, I think the new Beatles showed up in Captain America, like for one issue before you guys brought her in. So the, the whole unreliable narrator thing though, freed us, to, you know, freed me, I, I should say to, to, to go, to go ahead and, and do what worked for our story rather than worrying about matching every, every little bit of continuity, uh, just because Fred may have, Fred may have remembered things wrong, or, or he may not be bothered <laughs> to get this stuff right. Uh, but, but that's that's a case where the narrator is a good stand-in for the creator because uh, he's half in the bag, and so am I. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was nice actually that, that having uh, Beetle and Overdrive be pretty undefined, being being pretty undefined as characters. That was a, a huge blessing. Uh, for us as well, because we, we had so much more room to invent with those two and, and um, you know, getting to come up with their backstories and, uh, you know, kind of just, just spotlight their personalities more. Uh, you know, that ended up giving me an extra layer of freedom that we might not have had if it had been Rhino and, you know, Hydra Man or, or, or something like that. So, that was fun, you know, to, to to get to create a couple of of new characters, essentially. Yeah, the um, uh, I was I was as surprised as anyone uh, with the the reveal uh, of uh, who Beetle's dad is. Um, mm. and, and was delighted by that. Immediately started adjust, uh, adjusting how I was drawing her, and um, uh, and it, it was it was just remarkably freeing to to just be able to to treat these like they were characters from an independent comic. Yeah, Hawkeye was all about exposing the soul of of, of this character, and our, our characters frankly have none. Um, <laughs> the, um, 
Uh, but uh, I think you know, David Aja and I both come from similar schools of, of naturalism, and we both like the sort of formal play it, uh, it, that that we learned from looking at Howard Chaikin and Chris Ware. Uh, you know, we, we we come out of very very similar schools of influence. So uh, that that visual voice, there's going to be a lot of overlap. Yeah, and for me, look at the time. I don't think that the book would have been greenlit if it weren't for Hawkeye's success. Mm. I think, uh, you know, at the time, Marvel was very much, uh, you know, they were very excited about uh, how Hawkeye had resonated. And uh, it definitely has, it still has, it's still, it's it's had a lasting impact at Marvel in terms of uh, the art styles that you see in Marvel books, especially, um, but also in, in terms of the writing focus and, and, you know, keeping things on that ground level, uh, you know, that's something that Hawkeye has opened the, the door for a lot of other books. Um, in terms of the actual content, I don't think that we're that much like Hawkeye. Um, you know, I think the humor is a lot more over the top. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're a sillier story in a lot of ways than, 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 than Hawkeye and, 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 you know, proudly so. Um, you know, it, it, for me, it was it was a little funny because I'd done, you know, I'd done Jimmy Olsen at DC. I'd, I'd done Cloak and Dagger. You know, and the humor was in those books and, and, you know, the same kind of, you know, human first focus had been in those books. So it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, oh, I'd, I'd like to write something like that. Um, you know, that was stuff that I'd already been doing. But Hawkeye definitely... Uh, of, again, sort of afforded the opportunity to do more of that. So uh, it owes a lot to that book in that regard. And I certainly think, you know, Steve having done a story in Hawkeye, as soon as people picked up the book, there was that familiar element, you know, that there was that familiar aspect. And, and so I think it was, an, it was an easy connection for folks to make. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, yeah. Uh, and, and again, it, it, this, this kind of thing, it, it's, it, it's in our wheelhouse. Um, I've been doing pictorial word balloons since my first published comic story in 1992 or something like that. Um, but it, uh, I think the one place I hadn't done them before was Marvel because I always got the sense that that sort of that sort of formal play wasn't wasn't welcome. But uh, thanks to Hawkeye, that is. Yeah, I mean, talk to me about that that visual process for you, Steve. I mean, how, how do you come up with those? Those images. How do you let? How do you? How do you let those images drive the narrative? Um, sometimes, it, sometimes it's utilitarian. Um, I'm doing a lot of tiny panels on a page, and uh, I can't trust that my my reader is going to be able to see that uh, the, the exact thing that's that a character is holding in their hand. Um, so I'll I'll use a. Um, a circle with an arrow pointing towards the, the tiny thing in their hand to give a close-up, um, and it's, it's a very anti-naturalistic effect. It's, it's it's it draws attention to the fact that this is a comic, uh, and we've got a narrator who feels that way too. So these sort of things started to reinforce themselves. I actually wrote a whole essay about this that I published uh, at a at Comic Con's site where I, I blog for them every month. Um, if you Google "building the low budget world" or something like that, you, your readers can can read a whole long essay I wrote about it. Uh, but, but the short version is: I just started looking for uh, for 
theatrical effects rather than rather than movie effects things that that draw attention to the artifice that this is a comic and, and take some pleasure in the medium we're using and i mean i think some of the best jokes you know that 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 you know from the book kind of you know they were they're just kind of like these little random background images like i mean i think everyone always thinks about you know obama grilling uh during the boomerang dream sequence i mean you know we're, we're you know with something like that i mean is that you know steve you just you just do the page and give it to nick and then it's like oh we have a joke i mean or did i mean did nick did you say no we need a picture Jack. of obama that, was Jack. Yeah. That, was, that one was mine yeah, yeah. um you know it, that's a funny one sometimes the jokes that i think are a little too obvious or a little too on the nose are the ones that go over the best. Uh, sometimes I think I talk myself out of good jokes a little and, and try to play it a little too coy. Uh, you know, that was certainly one that was like that. And, and uh, you know, the Doom Titanic quote uh, was was another one that really, really connected. And I was kind of like, I remember when I wrote both of those, I was like, you know, the thanks Obama joke and the, the, the Doom Titanic joke. I was like, is this too, is this too easy? And, uh, you know, both of those seem to seem to strike a chord. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, uh, but, you know, Steve has dropped in so many visual gags that I did not come up with. Like, they're they're all over the place, Um, you know. So my my personal favorite is uh, Shocker's Sofa. That was not me at all. Shocker reusing that fabric all over his house is uh, just such a perfect, like, it's so perfect for the character. Um, I really love that one. That that one wasn't, I wasn't wasn't there to think that one out. I was just drawing the panel, sketching it, and and I I made two lines that crossed as I was constructing the sofa uh, in pencil, and and I saw that, and I just... You know, snorted to myself as I as I pictured that, and then realized, no, we have to do this. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so it it helps. It, it's funny. I'm, I've I've this is the first book I've ever gotten to to work on where I was actually being asked to be funny. Uh, usually, it was something that was like discouraged by my editors because you know th- th- these are these comics aren't just for kids anymore. You know these are these are serious, and Batman walks around doing the full diaper Charlie Brown walk. And you know, um, uh, but but the, when I, once I realized that no, we're actually supposed to be funny at this thing, it, it was just hard to turn it off. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's look, that's it's a rare gift, you know, and it, it was it was a, a big deal for the book to, to you know, for Steve to, to for for Steve to be my partner on it because uh I've worked with a lot of amazing artists who you can give you can give them, you know, giant, you know, uh world ending battle scenes and you know, they'll do an amazing job of that, but if you give them a joke uh, it's gonna, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a 50-50 shot uh, at it, at it pulling off. You'd be amazed how many artists will, you can, you can really knock them for a loop with, you know, stuff like comic timing or, you know, uh, those kind of dead pauses uh, in jokes and, and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's really, it's really a tricky thing to pull off. And I've never, I've never seen an artist do it as well as Steve has done it here. So that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big, big thing in terms of why the book works. Dude, thank you. Well, it, uh, it and, I'm, and I was able to do it because Nick was giving me 
characters that actually have personalities. Um, most comics characters, as they're written, kind of function like Mego action figures. Uh, <laughs> there's just not a whole lot. Th- there's just not a whole lot there. One of the funniest things you can do in in, in any medium is have a character be like himself. And, and just get that laugh of recognition. Yes, that is exactly what that character would do, or that what that character would say, or what they, or what they would own. Um, and the, 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 these were living, living, breathing, jerky characters. And so, I, so I, all I had to do was was just just get them right. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the other, I think the other thing that made a lot of that stuff work as well as it did um, is we. I mean, we should talk about the the scripting style in this book was totally different from just about anything I've ever done before. I, I've done it a little bit with a couple of other artists. I, I did something sort of similar with with Emma Rios on, on Cloak and Dagger, um, you know, but we the way that I wrote this, I did know I didn't do any panel breakdowns. Um, I would just write the dialogue along with, you know, the necessary instruction, uh, when one came up, like when an action would come up, I would just write that. And so there were never any, any panel descriptions or, you know, uh, panel breakdowns per se. And, uh, that is an amazingly liberating way to write that I think, uh, makes a huge difference especially in terms of capturing character and, you know, portraying personality, because in, in comics, normally it's, it's sort of like, uh, uh, playing in the NBA in terms of the, 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 the short, the short shot clocks, uh, mm-hmm. that basically every time you get the ball, you know, it's, 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 you're on a countdown, you're on a countdown in terms of words you can fit per panel, uh, you know, beats that you can do per panel, uh, then you're looking at, at number of panels per page. Then you're looking at, you know, uh, at your page count. And so you're constantly under a new gun. Um, and when you write traditionally, uh, that means that you're stopping and starting almost all the time. That if you if you do it traditionally, where you do panel one, this happens, then, you know, one to three lines of dialogue traditionally um, you know, and you're keeping an eye on, on the word count in those because you know that if the balloons get too big, eh, bottom line, you're constantly thinking about all these other things while you're writing. And so, uh, you know, you, 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 your writing often isn't quite as good as it could be if you just aired it out. Like if, if you just if you if you just said, well, this is the scene and I roughly guesstimate that this is how many pages it will take. And that would be, I think, especially early on, uh, that was the tricky part, was kind of learning just how much space we had. Um, you know, because sometimes I would get the pages and, you know, poor Steve would have to be doing like 16 panels because, I, you know, I was still figuring out exactly how much uh, room I, I, you know, I had. Um, you know, so that was, you know, but, but at the end of the day, I think the book reads so much better. But I couldn't have done that unless unless the artist that I was working with is somebody like Steve, that, that with Steve I could put that trust in him, that he could handle all those breakdowns, that he could decide, you know, where the panel beats were 90% of the time. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's, this is a weird phrase, but I tried to draw like a writer. Um, <laughs> yeah, by, yeah, by, by, yeah, I, I never 
gave myself a, 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 even a second to worry about, is this going to be a visually impressive page? You know, I, I didn't care what the book looked like when people flipped through it. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that, that, that we were nailing the individual moments correctly. Um, I had my basic grid. I did it on a, a – I, I laid the whole book out on a 16-panel grid, and there's only like – except for the, the splash pages and, and a couple of, of scenes, the, 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 all my, my, my pages stick to that grid pretty, pretty rigidly. Um, and once I had that, it was just a matter of, of figuring out – first, I'd figure out where, you know, where does the page end? What's, what's the best beat to get, a, to get a good page turn out of this? Uh, do, I want to, do I want to end on suspense? Do I want to push – do I want to end on a laugh? Um, and then I'd, I'd just break it down further. Uh, I'd look for, 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 for places where I could insert a joke or, or, or goose a moment or uh, – you know, uh, find a gag or, or, or a, a frustration point or a bit of conflict, um, and then just just tweaked it from there. I, I, most of the thinking of, for how that stuff was done was all done on these tiny, completely unreadable little thumbnail drawings, no bigger than a playing card, um, and uh, and then I uh, I'd start shooting. I shot a lot of photo reference for this, uh, and uh, I, I have to give. I have to give it a, a big shout out to my studio mates who modeled for these characters. Uh, I've got such great blackmail material for the rest of their careers. Uh, photos of Jeff Parker and, and Ben Dewey, the artist of, of Autumn Land's Tooth and Claw, uh, mugging shamelessly, uh, <laughs> just, just being complete jackasses to each other. Um, and, uh, Anyway, so I'd, I'd, I'd take horrible, embarrassing photos of them, and, and then, then start drawing, and I'd just keep noodling at it until I until I'd milked as many laughs out of it as I could. I mean, I think what's amazing to me is, I mean, this book reads like the both of you are in the same room doing this, and you're clearly not. I mean, like, I don't know if you can talk to that or not, but I mean, that's, it's the, the synergy between the two of you. I mean, it's, it's really one of those, one of the few books out there where it really does feel like a co-collaboration. I, I think that the, this, this way of working that we stumbled into, it was, it's just a really good organic uh, way of collaborating that, that takes maximum advantage of stuff that we're, of, of what we're both good at. Yeah, it came really naturally. You know, it wasn't, I, you know, uh, I mean, I, I think, like we said before, this is the first time that Steve and I have ever, uh, you know, actually spoken. Um, you know, that it was all emails and in the script. And, and even, I, honestly, emails, we didn't email that much. You know, like, like it was really, um, you know, it just seemed to come very easily and come very naturally. And, and But again, I think... A huge amount of it is just trust, you know, that, that I think we, we both tended to trust each other a lot and tended to just respond to each other's, you know, to what each other was, was doing the whole time, you know. And, and uh, I mean, another thing about this book is because of my, you know, I have a pretty intense workload. Um, and, you know, so I'm very rarely able to do full scripts. Um, these days, you know, I have to, I have to do them piecemeal and, um, you know, just kind of put out the fires as they, as they come up and, um, you know, but, but where that ends up being a blessing is, 
um, when you're seeing the pages that are right next to the pages that you're writing, you know, you can respond to those and you can feed off of those and you get a nice feel for how the book is going. Um, you know, so other than I think I, I, the last issue, uh, I think I did the entire script uh, before Steve saw it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and that's because, you know, it, it it kind of needed to be done that way. Um, uh, you know, I needed to not get to 16 or 17 and, and be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm running out of pages. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I, that, that one required, um, uh, a little more, but yeah, we, we kind of got to, to, to bounce off each other's ideas more, uh, doing it that way. So, you know, it, it, it ended up, um, really showing up on the page. It's, it's not, it's not something that you can just sort of replicate or, you know, there's not like a formula that you can, that you can copy. It, it was just a thing where, uh, everything seemed to click. Yeah. The, 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 the spirit of it was very, very much like like live improv. There was a lot of that yes and kind of feeling going on. Um, if for your listeners who don't know what that means, uh, improv uh, in improv comedy, they, they teach people to say to, to not shoot down an idea that that, mm-hmm. that your improv partner gives to you, but you say say yes and you you work with that, and then you add something to it, and that's that's constantly what this felt like. Yeah, you can't kill an idea because then the, it just all goes off the, the rails, basically. Um, which is just amazing, too, also, because, like, this book feels very tightly plotted, and yet it seems very freeform. So, how, I mean, how much, you know, how much of this was, was plotted from the beginning? I was in the fucking dark. I, I knew nothing was going on, man. Uh, yeah, I was. I was. There were, there were times when I was like a reader of the book. You know, I'd, I'd turn the page of the script and go, "Whoa, holy shit, wow!" Uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of advanced plotting, you know, I, I definitely had the framework uh, in mind from the start. Um, you know, uh, I, I knew where I wanted to end up. I knew that I wanted Boomerang to, to, to be on the mound with, uh, uh, you know, using Chameleon Serum to kind of get back into baseball. And, um, you know, so I knew that I kind of had this this bittersweet, uh, you know, uh, guy trying to, uh, uh, you know, steal his, steal his dream back, essentially. And so I knew that I had that, and then... Um, you know, I, I had a lot of the Silvermane stuff, um, you know, and how that would play out, and, and you know that ending with Herman Herman getting his big win after getting knocked down a lot. Uh, but within that, there was a lot of room. There was a lot of room. I, I know one of the earliest scenes that I had in mind was that scene where uh, you know Boomerang copies Shocker's speech about sticking together, and then we see every. Uh, every member sell out the others uh, to to a boss and, and starting the gang war that way. That was a really early scene, so I kind of knew to steer everything towards that, and and so it became like, well, who's connected to who? And you know, Overdrive is connected to Mister Negative and the existing continuity, so that made sense. Uh, you know, I'd like to use Tombstone, so how can we do this? Oh, well, you know, what if Beatles his daughter and. Um, so, you know, uh, and and that kind of shows up in the speed demon, 
bit, uh, you know, because MetaMask has no connection to the rest of the book and everything, and it just ends up being kind of a funny gag that he just does it because everybody else is doing it. Um, you know, so so yeah, it, that that scene was 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 a really early one, and and so around kind of those key moments, and that's generally how I work is that I'll have a kind of a, a list of of you know big resonant moments uh, that I'd like to see in the end game. And so throughout, I just kind of steer towards those. But we had a lot of room, uh, you know, in the middle to to, to build out and, and create as we went along. And um, so, in terms of some of these, some of the more off the wall ideas, like the disembodied head of Silvermane, uh, <laughs> the, the portrait of Doom. I mean, where where did these come from? Who who who's the who's the mastermind of this? Both of those are dick. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just, I, I just got on that horse and rode it as hard as I could. It was 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 Silverman's disembodied head a thing prior to our to our book? I don't even, I don't even know. That. No, no, you know they killed all Silverman. Okay, I, I was not uh, a big fan of that decision. Uh, no, no, no. It, 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 the thing was, I wanted to do a heist. Um, you know, and I wanted to do a funny heist. And so immediately, uh, you say, well, I'm doing this in the Marvel universe. So what can I do that's unique to that environment? Uh, you know, that's always when you're writing at Marvel, it's important to kind of keep that in mind. And, and, and so, uh, you know, the head of Sylvia Silverman was a great one because it gives you control of the magia that Dan had sort of, uh, you know, set up some some weird arcane rules in terms of how you can control the Magia very early on in in like Brand New Day Spider Man, and it seemed like there was sort of a lot of nebulous room uh, to create there. So uh, so that made sense. And then you know the yeah the the face of of Victor Von Doom, just you know what is what's what's a what's a piece of fine art in the Marvel universe? You know what's 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 uh, you know, what would they go nuts for at Christie's or something, you know? So, uh, so that seemed like a, like a, like a good one to go with. And, and, uh, yeah, it gave us that payoff, that, that moment of doom showing up and, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that was again, kind of an early idea, um, in terms of payoffs. I mean, Steve, you referred to the, you know, the whole yes and thing. I mean, did it get to a point where like, you know, you felt like the two of you were trying to kind of top each other with the absurdity in these scripts. Uh, I, I just felt like I was trying to do it all justice. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I, I felt like we 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 had, we had hit the right tone, and it was more a matter of just trying to make sure that we were, <laughs> were that, that we were sticking to it. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't want to top. I just wanted to to not slack off and not uh, and and. And not disappoint anyone who who, who had who had come to like the voice of the book. Um, yeah, yeah, and that was I mean that was another nice thing about this was we got uh, we started if I'm remembering right we generally didn't have that much time like lead time on the book uh, that you know because we had this opening because of the launch of Superior Spider Man and stuff so. I don't think that we worked on the book for very long before it was out comparatively. No. Um, yeah. And, and that actually ended up being really nice because 
the response to the book from the get-go was really good. Like the first issue went over really well and we got a lot of nice reviews and, and some great word of mouth and everything. And I have a tendency to think that that, um, a, a lot of times as, as sad as this might be, um, you know, or, 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 you know, unfortunate as this can be the, the audience response to a, a book can be very helpful, um, or, you know, or harmful, um, and when it's when it's good, you tend to loosen up. You know that you tend to be like, okay, well, everybody likes this. This just just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and so you don't you don't get these these you know these urges to to retrace your steps or to go in a different direction or to try something new. You know, you're not you're not throwing things against the wall to see if they stick anymore. In fact, I mean, when the book finished. I remember just sort of like doing a sigh of relief kind of because it's, it had started as we got towards the end. Um, and particularly, you know, we had a couple of fill in issues in the middle and coming back from those, um, you know, and, and kind of, you know, making sure that we didn't lose momentum, uh, there, you know, it, it started to feel a bit to use the to use a baseball comparison. You know, it's a bit like when you're, when you're pitching, you know, I don't want to say a perfect game, but you're pitching a very good game and you're starting to get up in the innings, mm. uh, you know, and uh, nobody says anything to the pitcher at that point, you know, that you don't, you don't want to mess anything up. And towards the end, that's, that's very much how it felt for me where it was like, well, just, just don't, don't upset anything. Just don't, you know, just, just, just quietly get it done. And, you know, we had a lot of editorial turnover on the book. You know, obviously, Wacker, you know, moved on to animation. Um, you know, then we had Tom Brennan for a, a while. And then, you know, Lauren Sagovich and John Moisen came in, um, you know, on our last arc. So, you know, it, it, it was, uh, yeah, sort of a thing of, okay, just, just, just keep doing your work. Just, just keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, uh, it's it's kind of interesting just the process of nerves and and everything that go through um and uh, yeah towards the end it was just sort of okay you don't want to you don't want to stumble here and and uh, so yeah when it was done it was it was more sort of a feeling of, of relief for me than anything yeah um yeah, i i like it too uh when when you're when you're you're riding a bike on a really crappy road Oh, <laughs> and, and, and it's like okay, this is this is this is slippery and dangerous, and all I can do is just is just just you know, try to keep you know, try to keep this thing straight and ride through it and and and, and keep going it and, until it's no longer horrible and slippery and I'm gonna and in danger of killing me, uh, and and I, I felt like we we managed to stay on stay on it the whole time. Hmm. I, I mean. When when the book started getting you know was was met well when it first came out I mean did did your expectations as creators kind of change a little bit or I mean you know have you always just kind of just wanted to keep your head down with it I I went in assuming that uh, I was I was. I was told from the start that it was it was an ongoing. Uh, I, had, I hadn't heard anything about about it, it, it actual about them having blocked out twelve issues or whatever it was. All, you know, all I knew it was ongoing, which I assume meant six issues. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and uh, I, I was I was shocked every time I heard that that we weren't canceled, and, and that, that that continued right up to the end. Um, I was yeah, I was always glad that we were continuing, but I was always surprised. Um, yeah, yeah. I've I've never gotten to to hit the ending on a to hit an ending on a work for hire project before. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. I, I talked to Wacker early on, you know, uh, when we were pitching the book and everything, I, I said, you know, the one thing is I, I, you know, it is going to be a heist and, and stuff. So it's, so I need to have a general idea of how many issues I have, you know, that, that a, a book that's canceled at five or six is going to have a very different arc you know, than a book that's canceled at, at 12. Um, and so, you know, we knew going in, I think everybody involved knew issue 30 was just like not in the cards. Yeah. You know, they, they you know, when you're doing a book called the spirit of Foes of Spider-Man and it's a satellite book and, and, uh, you know, there's just a million factors there, uh, you know, in, in terms of anticipated lifespan where you can feel very comfortable, uh, going ahead and assuming, um, you know, that you're a two or, or, or you know, a three arc book. And um, it, it, right, it, it wasn't long after the first issue. I think it was the first or second issue that Steve called me up and, and said, you're going to get some extra issues uh, that, you know, you're going to get to go to 15, um, which is a huge deal um, because it was, it was a little tight in terms mm. of my outline. Like I was like, I got a lot here. Um, and, uh, so knowing that fairly early on and, uh, it enabled us to do issues like the beetle issue and the overdrive issue, um, you know, where we got to build those characters out, those probably would not have been in the book and the book would have been a lot worse off for that. Um, you know, so, and, you know, before I forget, we should definitely mention, uh, Rich Ellis, um, who did the absolute best job of coming in and spotting that I've ever seen an artist do. Oh, God uh, bless Rich. Yeah, it just it, the book did not lose a beat, and it very easily could have gone off the rails, uh, you know, on those issues. Um, you know, the, 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 if you get the wrong artist in there, it really could have, could have made it much more jarring, and, you know, it's, Rich just made it seamless. Uh, but, you know, those issues, uh, you know, and, and, and building out the ending a little bit more, that's really, that was the luxury that we got from that response. Um, you know, that, that the word of mouth was good enough that Marvel, uh, very early on, let us know that we had that, that extra time. Yeah. It's, yeah uh, I don't, I don't have, have much of an ear inside the Marvel, Marvel offices, but I got the impression that there are people in the office who were reading the book and, and really enjoying it. Um, yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that 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 helped our longevity some too. Yeah, and you know, I mean, a huge amount of the credit for that really does have to go to Wacker too. Though, I mean, he was tireless in terms of uh, you know uh, making sure that 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 we got to do the book and do the book right, and, and you know, just Steve, I I really miss working with him. Um, you know, he's just an editor who his sensibilities. And, um, you know, the kind of stuff that appealed to him, um, you know, it, it, there aren't that many editors. I'm, I'm lucky that I get to work with some others who are in that, that, that same school. But, 
you know, certainly, um, you know, Steve's responsible for, you know, a lot of the absolute best books that Marvel has done over the last few years. And, and, um, uh, yeah, when, when Steve left and everything, um, you know, Tom Brevoort really stepped in and made sure that the book was on the right path. Lauren Sankovich had left Marvel um, and agreed to freelance edit the book, um, you know, which was a huge deal. I worked with Lauren for years, so I knew her um, and, you know, we worked well together. And so um, and she was especially Lauren coming in at that point was especially important, I think, because nobody maintains a schedule and runs the nuts and bolts of a book, in my experience, better than Lauren. She's she is the best editor that I've ever worked with in terms of her fundamentals. You know, that just just it's it's a tightly run ship with Lauren. She she doesn't let anything slip by and, and you know, mistakes don't get made. And um, you know, so we were very lucky to get her in at that point in the book where schedule really becomes an issue, you know, that, that as you tend to get towards the end your lead time has vanished. And, you know, I mean, Steve deserves a huge amount of the credit for that because he is a super fast artist, um, you know, and, and is an incredibly hard worker. Um, you know, so all of, all of these things combined kind of made up for my uh, perpetual state of being overbooked and, uh, you know, just generally flaky. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he sees being nice and he's, he's not saying anything <laughs> sorry guys I mean, my, my Skype cut out were we talking <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is an this is a, a master show in uh, uh, gracefulness <laughs> excellent good to hear good to hear um you, Nick, earlier in the conversation, you had mentioned when you the last issue was kind of a, a, a you know an exhalation of relief. But I mean, for the for the both of you, I mean, get, putting putting together that final issue, I mean, that was that a bittersweet moment as well. Oh, totally. Um, I the, the whole time I I, I I kept this is the last time I get to draw this guy. This is the last time I get to draw this guy. This is the last time I get to 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 revisit this gag. Um, and and I knew I'm going to miss these guys. You know, and, <laughs> and, and inevitably, uh, just kind of going through my going through my day and, and BSing here at Periscope Studio where I work, uh, something will come up and that's like, oh, that, man, that that would, that would be a perfect shocker gag. Nothing, just nowhere to put it. Nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with it. File it away for 25 years from now, and when, when Marvel brings us back for a revival. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever actually said this to Steve, you know, I would love to do a sequel someday, um, you know, but I think that that's something that is probably best served years from now. You know, the, that what you can hope for is that the book finds a life on the shelf and, you know, that it becomes something like, you know, we get a lot of comparisons now. Once we ended, we, st- we tended to get a lot of comparisons to Next Wave. Which is which is a huge honor, um, but you know that's a book that's outlived, uh, you know its its uh, um, you know its first life, and and you know it's it's uh, uh, you know kind of had a legacy, and and you know so you know I'd love to come back to these characters someday, but I I definitely think that it's a long ways away, not something that you can plan, you know. But I always tend to uh, a lot of times it's not even just missing the the characters here, but. Uh, Man, sometimes I'll be like, Craven is not in this book. 
Or like <laughs> Mysterio. How is Mysterio not in this book? Rhino isn't in here. You know, the various characters because of availability or, you know, just not fitting into the story, um, you know, aren't here. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, there's 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 very, very little kingpin here. And so there's there's still like a whole swath of of, you know, Spidey rogues gallery characters that are really perfect for this kind of story uh, that we never touched on. And so, like, I'm always like, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't believe it's not the Justice League or whatever. You know, it, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, a great story, too. And so, you know, that, that I always kind of, I, I guess that saved me a little bit of, of, of the pain. I mean, and, uh, uh, but yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you have those moments where you're like, God, I'm really going to miss writing this. Uh, like I said, a lot, a lot for me was like, I wanted to get to the finish line and get it done and get it right. And so I couldn't really enjoy that. But once it was over, I was like, man, I don't, I don't write those guys anymore. And, uh, I'm, I'm sneaking them into other stuff that I write at Marvel um, when I can, uh, and that's nice. But, um, you know, it's not it's obviously not quite the same. Um, but, yeah, definitely, look, it, it's, it's, it's also a scary thing to some extent because when you have an assignment and it's going really, really well and everybody's liking it, um, you know, you're like, my next assignment people might not like. And so you're like, uh, I'm going to miss this very successful one, you know, if, if the next one doesn't take, that's for sure. So, uh, you know, just from a, just from a career standpoint, it's a hard thing to, to, uh, uh, say goodbye to, but, you know, ultimately that's massively outweighed by the opportunity to actually do an ending. I mean, as Steve mentioned, like, yeah, it never happens. Um, you know, books get canceled before you want them to, uh, you know, so you kind of got to rush something out. that's like, you know, not, not what you would have, what, not what you would have done. Um, or, you know, you're just changing, changing hands on the book and handing the book off to somebody else. So the opportunity to actually tell a complete story, um, is uh, so rare in, in, you know, big two superhero comics, um, that it, it felt weird. It was weird when I was writing it, I was like looking for books, you know, I was like, okay, well, what are some of your favorite, you know, superhero comic book endings? And, you know, you're like, you can, I can count them on one hand. I'll, I'll put it that way. You know, like endings that I really, really loved. Um, you know, it's just not, you know, John Hickman always says, you know, these, these, these comics are second act. You know, yeah. that, that, that everything, everything's always perpetual second act. And, uh, you know, that's true. And, and so to, to get to do something different from that, I, I've, I got to do it at DC. I did Thunder Agents and I got to do it there. Um, you know, so I'm very lucky that I've actually gotten to do, uh, you know, Jimmy Olsen, I got to do it. I'm very lucky. Part of the blessing of uh, maybe being better at writing uh, characters that are doomed not to sell much. <laughs> is that you can maybe think about that more, uh, you know, that, that you can kind of, uh, you know, plot yourself out knowing that you're going to be canceled and be right. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's still, it's incredibly rare. Yeah. Um, so I, I did, you, you had mentioned earlier there that, um, 
maybe characters can make a reappearance. So, I mean, are we going to see Boomerang and Ant Man, or uh... <laughs> uh, you'll see uh, you'll see Beetle in the first issue of Ant Man? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, she's uh, she's uh, she's even she's on one of the covers. Uh, Ed McGinnis did a fantastic uh, shrinking variant, which is like this fun thing where every every copy Ant Man is a different size on the cover, and uh, she's on that That's one. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was a good idea, and um, uh, you know she's she's on the cover of that even. So yeah, she she makes a fun appearance in the book, and she has a fun little role to play. So. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, and I, I wouldn't at all, uh, you know, count out her appearing in that book again, um, you know, or or some of the other characters. It's it's it, the the books aren't. It's a different sense of humor on Ant Man, but uh, uh, you know, it is still uh, got a lot of comedy in it, and um, uh, it's definitely easy to transport. Uh, some of the, the the characters and 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 gimmicks of foes over to that book. Yeah, I, I already have people saying to me, "Oh, hopefully, Ant Man will will you know continue as the as Marvel's funny book because <laughs> I think that's you know <laughs> people are miss you know there's a void now without superior foes. People people like having that funny book, and you know this this you know." As you know, Steve, like you were saying, there are not a lot of funny comics out there, or comics that are intentionally supposed to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just a couple of quick, like lightning round dish type questions. Um, do you, do, I mean, do do each you have kind of your own favorite recurring gag from the series? Oh man, um, I, yeah, I loved references to Dormammu. <laughs> Cracked me up. I wound up drawing a lot of con sketches of him. Um, Yeah, and what what Nick mentioned earlier, Shocker's couch never fails to crack me up. Just even just just sitting there drawing it. But um, um, I I, I like um, boomerang boomerang pausing, trying to work on his next lie. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's i mean steve uh wrote all of he has a great bit where he he wrote like every possible thing that that fred is thinking uh in one bit none of those are mine those are all steve the the the, the, the thinking there was that there's a bit in terminator where arnold schwarzenegger is like going through all of his possible responses to something and scrolling through them until he gets to f- you asshole. Uh, <laughs> and this is Fred's version of that. Uh, for me, I, um, I, I love, I actually really love the Mirage stuff. Um, I, just because I thought to me, that was one of like the earliest ideas I had as well was, I was like, you know, as, as, as D-list as these guys are, I can think of a ton of Marvel villains uh, that are way in way worse shape, um, you know. And Mirage was the perfect candidate because he'd been used. In, uh, he'd been used in books where writers had not realized that he'd been killed. Uh, you know, so he was one of these guys that was like a continuity error. He was like a walking fuck up. Sorry, sorry for my language there. But like, you know, he was just. Uh, you know, he was he was a mistake. Like he like he was supposed to be dead way back when, and yeah, he just keeps popping up in books whenever uh, you know a writer is just like, eh, just throw in like five generic bad guys. I don't care who, you know, like like that's that's when he would pop up again. 
And so, you know, I thought there was something so pathetic and so tragic about being that character that nobody even knows when you're dead or alive. And to him, Fred is like way up on this pedestal. Fred is, Fred's got it. Fred's like running <laughs> the Sinister Six. And like he's fought Spider-Man a bunch of times. And being in this Sinister Six, which nobody else takes seriously, and, you know, which is like a laughing stock, you know, to Mirage, this is his dream is to be in this gang. And so in that last issue, to, to have him get it and then just have Fred kill him without even thinking about it. Without just, just, he just gets a panel and, again, nobody gives a shit. Uh, and sure enough, the book came out and I didn't see one person publicly comment on it. And I was like, this guy is never going to win. Yeah, I, I I felt like that was a case where, where we very respectfully put the toys back where we found them. How's <laughs> <laughs> this? I think I think he was dead. He was dead when we started the book, so I guess he's still dead. Here you go. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, my sense of humor. I love the uh, the more pathetic. You, you know, if you can get him to that cringeworthy level of pathetic, oh. uh, that's when I'm really happy. I mean, the overdrive origin makes me really happy <laughs> because, like, you know, I said elsewhere, like. That will never happen to him now. Like, like he will never be an Avenger. He will never be a good guy. That story will never happen. That, that, that you know, because now, like, that's the joke for him. You know, that, that now he's just doomed to, to be this bad guy who wants to be a good guy and just had this intensely stupid idea that because, you know, yeah, they, they, that Hawkeye, Hawkeye used to be a bad guy. So uh, this must be the best way to become an Avenger, right? Is to be a bad guy first. And it's it, it's true so many times, and yet it's so absurd when somebody says that it's their plan. <laughs> that, like, you know, and he was always, uh, if you guess, if you watch Mad Men, uh, you know, he was always Bob to me. Like, he was always this, like, smiling, positive <laughs> guy that you just want to slap. Great, Bob. Whenever you see him. Yeah. You know, the, the, the basically, like, you know, Fred was Pete, kind of, you know, that he just hated him, you know? And, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, uh, the, a lot of the Overdrive stuff I love. <laughs> um, either either you will take credit for um, Abner's inability to leave a room without that's crashing into the wall. That one is that, that's Steve, and, you know, I just started picking it up because he did it so amazingly the first time. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that, that would get to a point where that I would just give Steve a page on that. And just, uh, <laughs> this is Abner trying to leave a room. Yeah. One of the scripts said, uh, gag where Abner, where Abner tries to, tries to exit. So, okay. Here we go. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that, that, that's probably was my all time favorite in terms of recurring. <laughs> well, that, that stuff, that stuff is really where it's Steve, those pages, uh, loads of people like online went nuts over those pages. That's the stuff that I'm talking about when when I say I've never seen an artist in comics do comedy as well as as Steve did here. Like like that's the stuff where again that's two lines for me, and then him just doing all of that physical comedy. Um, you know that that's that's entirely in his hands. Uh, any any ability for me to, to, to do that stuff is just years of being a comedy nerd, uh, just 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 watching watching silent films obsessively and uh, li- listening to comedian podcasts and all those play all those things where 
this round tables where four unsmiling comedians talk about what makes something funny and, and kind of grimly nod and agree with each other about shit that, um, <laughs> just, just kind of trying to work, you work off of those principles. Um, yeah, and I, and again, that's, that's the thing where I can't believe we, we, we were allowed to do it. That's, that's Tom Brennan and, um, and and Lauren were 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 cool with us just taking a page for a gag. I yeah, I, I can't think of too many Marvel comics where that where that's even allowed. Yeah, and you know, speaking in terms of the type of humor, one of the things that made me really happy is that this is like 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 Steve was just saying, this is like an old school comedy in a lot of ways. That this isn't um, a lot of the humor in this isn't what you would consider like new comedy. You know that this isn't. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of these jokes are, um, you know, very, you know, almost, almost vaudevillian. You know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, there, I, I, you know, I grew up, you know, around just like a ton of of Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello and 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 you know, Marx Brothers and, um, you know, and 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 Jackie Gleason stuff. You know, and just just all this stuff that, you know, to to me, you're never going to improve on it. You know, you're only going to beat it into the ground. And, um, uh, you know, that was part of the fun for me was like sometimes, again, you know, being like, is that joke too easy or something? You know, I would just, you know, a lot of times I would be like, this is, you know, this is like my, my grandpa's sense of humor. You know, this, is, this is like we are reaching deep, deep back and to be just so unabashedly, uh, you know, it, 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 to, to just so go after that kind of stuff so unabashedly was like, uh, uh, you know, you could hear like the nyucks. And, uh, uh, you know, to see people respond to that just really speaks to how that stuff, that bag of tricks, you'll just always have it. You know, that, that just, that just, you don't need to overthink it. If you're, if you're stuck on something, you know, has somebody poke the other guy in the eye and, you know, it'll work, it'll work great. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think what, what, what kept us from, you know, from, from being grown, grown worthy is that it, we, we were both pretty willing to be mean to the characters. We yeah. we, we, we really were protecting them in, in, in any fashion at all, um, and and th- there's there's just a lot of fun in 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 watching <laughs> in watching just just how low these guys could go, just just how horribly they could treat each other, and how horribly we as the creators can treat them. You know, it, it, with Shocker, it started to get into duck a buck levels of, <laughs> of, of, of creator on, char- on character violence. You know. <laughs> well, um, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but um, so I, I, I did want to ask you. So now, the both of you are going to be working on an image series together. Is that correct? That's right. That's yep. right. So, That's so why don't we plug that a little bit? Uh, uh, well, you know, we're going to be really coy about it for now. You know, we put out a teaser, uh, that, you know, just said in 2015, the fix is in, uh, you know, in our two names and image comics, uh, and, a, and a delightful little dog. Nobody draws dogs in comics better than Steve Lieber. Uh, the man has a, has a gift for the, uh, for the, for the dogs. And, um, uh, you know, so we had... Uh, you know, I won't tell too much of this story, but we had another teaser um, kind of ready to go. And uh, kind of circumstances way out of our control. You know, I can't really give it away, but it meant that, that we couldn't use it, that it just it didn't 
it didn't seem right. And, and Steve was, Steve, Steve, Steve emailed me and was like, we, can, we can't use that. And sure enough, you know, like he was right. It, 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 but what, what it really ended up being the nice thing about it is I, I love the new teaser so much. Like that I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, that we did it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I uh, look for me, uh, this is how it's supposed to be. You know, I believe very much in, in like the Brian K. Vaughn idea of this, that, you know, Marvel and DC can oftentimes be compared to college, you know, um, or, you know, be compared to your parents, like that. It's a fantastic place to learn and a fantastic place to, to, to meet others and stuff. Uh, you know, and then you're supposed to go out on your own and you're supposed to, to create your own things. And, um, you know, you're supposed to take what you've learned and, and apply it elsewhere. And uh, uh, certainly the, the, the working relationship that we built here, I, I you know, uh, uh, I would have been devastated to not keep working with Steve. And, um, you know, I, I really would have felt like I lost something there. So, you know, we've been talking to that, uh, you know, we've been talking about this, um, you know, since pretty early on uh, in, in, in foes, you know, that when this was done, uh, we would have to go and do something at image. So, uh, I'm just so excited to, to, to be able to, to keep working with him. Oh yeah. When, when, when Nick raised the possibility, it was a no brainer. It was like, I got to do this. This, this is, this, this, this could be golden right here. Yeah. No, well, I, 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 I believe the, the image that was sent out was a beagle. Is that correct? Yes. It is. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm a beagle person, so I was like, all right. You know, two, two creators, I, I love their series. Now they're going to do something with a beagle in it, so I'm yes. good. <laughs> yeah. The problem is now, now everybody has, like, written uh, the book for us. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, I've seen all over the internet that we're writing a book about a neutered dog getting revenge. Yeah. And I'm just like... And I'm just like, hell, why, why, why don't we do that book? Why didn't we do that? <laughs> that, that could be a good book too. Yeah. Right, that's... right, right. I can go ahead and disclose that that is not the plot of the book. So, <laughs> but I think you'll like the plot that we have. So. Yes. Okay. I, 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 I have not written anything of your book yet. I promise. <laughs> um, and in, in terms of you know what what you guys currently are working on and what what's coming up, uh, what's you know I, I, we obviously talked you know briefly about ant-man but i mean what else is going on in, in your lives beyond superior foes um i'm doing a story arc on quantum first? and woody uh and then after that it, I'm, I'm i'm all about the fix uh i've got yeah i've got ant-man coming up from marvel uh, coming up here in january and then a lot of new image work is in the cards for 2015. Um, obviously, the fix and uh, as well uh, paradigms with Butch Geis and uh, Cerulean with Fraser Irving and Great Beyond with Morgan Jeske. So a lot of new uh, creator-owned work, which is what I'm really excited to be getting back into. And, and um, uh, uh, you know, all of those books are generally in production and being worked on now. So, you know, the pages are coming in and, you know, they're getting to be real. So, uh, you know, it's kind of exciting to finally be at that point. Man. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be, they're going to have image expo and they're just going to have Spencer expo. Yes. (laughs) It's going to be a busy year. That's for sure. But busy is good. Well, 
Well, guys, thank you again so much. And and on, if if you know, I hadn't said it yet. You know, congratulations on on this run in comics. I mean, I, I you know, Superior Foes really, you know, we we talk about it a lot on the show about how much we really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it just kind of between the humor and you know the just the 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 way the the narrative was structured, the artwork, I mean, everything just clicked, you know, we're, we're, we're Dan and I are both going to miss it in our, in our full list. Month. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's sad to say that about a comic, but it, it's true. It's like, you know, it was kind of like that little diversion, you know, all the other t- titles had, had the big stuff going on, tying into all the big, big events. And then there were superior foes where you could just kind of, you know, disappear into it for a little bit. So, you know, so thank you guys for that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yep, thank you. My pleasure. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I wanted to thank Nick and Steve again for agreeing to come on the show and for being so generous with their time. Remember, if you haven't read any of The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, you're really missing out. I know Mark and I considered it the best Spider-Man book on the market when it was coming out last year. In Superior Spider-Talk news, I wanted to thank everyone who's written in and submitted songs for our opening theme. We received many amazing submissions and are always looking for more. In a couple of shows, we'll be debuting all the contenders and allowing you to vote on the one that you like the best. If you are thinking about getting in on the competition, be sure to reach out to us now or forever miss out. Of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll be sure to read it on the air. If you have any opinions on these comics or any questions, you can email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook pages at Facebook.com slash SuperiorSpiderTalk and Facebook.com slash ChasingAmazing because they're actually great places to keep up with us between shows and which where we put all of our articles from our websites. And we give away a ton of free comics too, so that's always a good place to be. Don't forget also to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, the most long-winded name of a club ever, and one that I constantly hate myself for naming it that. Of course, you can keep up with all my Spider-Man writing at my Twitter, at SupSpiderTalk, or by visiting our website, SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And as always, in the immortal words of Uncle Ben, with great power, unfortunately comes Superior Foes. Superior Foes.